Hello, I'm Mallory Rubin. And I'm Van Lathan. Check out the Ringerverse podcast from The Ringer for all things superhero movies, nerd culture, and fandom entertainment. We have instant reviews and fun takes on all the latest news and more available now on Spotify. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. It's real cash that never expires or loses value. Apply for Apple Card in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Daily cash is available via Apple Cash Card issued by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC, or as a statement credit. Terms and more at applecard.com. This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. What if I told you you could get a big snack almost anywhere for less than five bucks? Let's talk 7-Eleven's $3 big meal deal with seven rewards. Big meal deal is a big bite hot dog and a large big gulp drink. And you won't find a better snack deal anywhere else. Here's what I put on my hot dog. Mustard. And that's it. That's it. I love a hot dog with mustard. Maybe if the chili, if I'm feeling it, if I'm feeling crazy, maybe a little chili, maybe a little nacho cheese, but I'm a hot dog and mustard guy. But if that sounds like your kind of bite, visit 7-Eleven, valid through 1725. 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax, applicable on large Big Gulp only. Participating U.S. stores only. See app for full terms. All rights reserved. Two, two, three. Whoa, whoa, dude, dude, that's the time of the monkey. What, of the what? Oh, the, 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 the monkey, the zoo, the show, you know, it, it tells time. Melanie, Melanie, she's amazing. And when I saw the show, the time the monkey told was 2.23. That's a weird coincidence, huh? Uh, I mean, do you think that maybe she's, uh, you think she's some kind of a monkey precog? Precog, like, minority report with monkeys? No, I do not. I would watch that movie, though. TV podcast feed. I'm Joanna Robinson. Joining me today to talk, I guess, about sexual zapping. It's Rob Mahoney. Hi, Rob. You know, it's what we do around here. We're, we're fresh off the bourgeois pig shit list. We're here to talk <laughs> sexual zapping. Let's do it, Joe. Do you have your own personal bourgeois pig shit list? Who among us does not? Is that yeah. not what your closet is? Like a little shrine to the, the bourgeois pigs in your life? Yeah, it's just like full wall length cork boards with various photographs pinned Naturally. to Naturally. We're here to talk about episode five of Poker Face, Time of the Monkey. Uh, an excellent episode of television. Had a Fantastic. great time with it. Um, this episode was written by Joe Lawson from a story by Joe Lawson and C.S. Fisher and directed by Lucky McKee. And Joe Lawson, this is an especially sharp and funny episode of, of Poker Face. Um, and Lawson is a, a BoJack Horseman writer, so I'm, like, deeply unsurprised. But also a Geico caveman commercial writer, so, you know, <laughs> the full gamut. We all contain multitudes, you know? Yes, 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 yes. Um, and, and we were talking last week when we were talking about, like, the first four episodes that dropped together. We are talking about how highly stylized Ryan's episodes felt and then, like, thinking about the directorial styles of the ensuing episodes. Something I liked in this episode a lot were was some of the lighting in Joyce and Irene's, um, you know, from the grow lights, I think, and maybe some, like, stained glass items in there. There was just, like, cool throwing of greens on people's faces and stuff like that. Sort of visually, did this episode stand out to you at all? Absolutely. I mean, I think the lighting choices, as you described, like, as the tone of the episode shifts and our opinion of Joyce and Irene shift, it goes very quickly from, like, 
warm to ominous in terms of how that lighting is hitting. And also, I thought the way the flashbacks were shot and edited and put together was amazing in which basically all the dialogue is muted. It's this very like hazy filter, this kind of like crackling uh, record soundtrack. And then the only time you really hear sound in the flashbacks is when a character is shot through the spine and paralyzed and like snap back to reality in that way. There's just so many little choices like that that I thought really worked in addition to, as you laid out, it's just being a really funny episode of television. Lucky is um, Lucky McKee is a horror director, as far as I can tell from his CV. So um, I think when when the angles get more ominous, the mm-hmm. lighting gets creepier. That's where he shines. When the um, bedpans come out, you know, yes. that's when it really gets scary. <laughs> when the talc is flying. Um, <laughs> so I was curious. I don't really have a full metric. Because uh, Peacock hasn't released any stats that I could find of sort of like how the first four episodes hit, because we recorded our last episode before those first episodes dropped. But I was looking at Rotten Tomatoes, which I always consider sort of an imperfect metric. But I was looking at the sort of gap between the ninety-eight percent from critics and the seventy-eight percent from audiences. Seventy-eight percent isn't like terrible on Rotten no. Tomatoes, but you know, there's like a twenty percent gap there. I'm not wholly surprised because critics are just like generally so high on Ryan Johnson and that's not always the case like with the general the gen pop just anecdotally what have you heard from people watching Booker Face um, after the drop the people who I've heard from who are watching it are digging it but I'm sure there's a barrier to entry whether it's a Peacock subscription whether it's your interest in this kind of show whether it is your awareness of the you know the broader Ryan Johnson universe whatever that may be but I think this episode is a great test case for what you're talking about because from a TV nut perspective, this is a hat on a hat on a hat. You know, it's people from previous murder-solving shows cast in a show featuring murder-solving detectives watching their own TV shows. It's like, it's it's so metatextual about the murder-she-wrote SVU elements of this that I think critics are going to love an episode like this. We are going to love an episode like this. If you're not neck-deep in this stuff, I'm very curious to know if it's just like, oh, that was really funny. And some of this stuff is just kind of flying over your head in a way that's not uncomfortable or doesn't make you feel left out. But maybe you're not getting quite the same experience that we are. You're not getting the Skarsgård jokes. No. Or the uh, who died in Norway jokes. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, yeah, I, I haven't heard that much from people like sort of who casually watch television in my life that they've been watching this. So I think this is a thing that is like, it's a show that is very much a thing in the critical community. Yes. All the TV critics are raving about it. Um, and and maybe a slower burn or a slower spread into the the larger populace. And we'll see how the week-to-week uh, building a buzz, perhaps. You know, people might just catch on to it late. Like, that's what happened with, like, Yellow Jackets and some other shows. So, or, you know, The Bear, et cetera, where it might, like, take a couple weeks to catch on. We'll see. Um, I want to hit a couple emails we got. Again, since this is a superhero genre show, as I uh-huh. mentioned last week, you can email us at Hobbits and Dragons, which is the Ringerverse email. But uh, we got some poker face emails at Hobbits and Dragons at gmail.com. Robin Just shameless. Deeply shameless. happy about this. <laughs> and it's definitely not put me on his bourgeois pig shit list for doing this. Um, but he got an email from Daniel uh, who observes in episode one, Adrian Brody's character says, uh, quote unquote, three things that his father told him as rules, then conspicuously doesn't say the third. 
which goes against everything the show sets up about paying off every inch of dialogue, and that bothered me so much at first. But does that perhaps suggest it'll circle back in the bookend at the end of the season you alluded to, wanted to plant that seed with you and call my shot? Uh, Rob, thoughts and feelings? Excellent poll. You know, yeah. really, really great identification. And obviously we're on board as far as this being a show that uses the whole buffalo in that way, so to speak. So I would I would be shocked at this point if we didn't circle back to it. Um, Ron Perlman, over on the old Wikipedia, which is always mm-hmm. accurate, obviously. But Ron Perlman has moved from like down the cast list as casino, casino enforcer up to the top in the recurring slot, which is only Benjamin Bratt and Ron Perlman. Interesting. Um, as, um, you know the potential big bad of the season. Um, we got another email from Aaron. You you and I were, I, I identified the casino in episode one as Las Vegas. You were like, surely it says Reno. Um, we got an email from Aaron who says, uh, want to direct your attention to Laughlin, Nevada, across the river from Bullhead City, Arizona, where the first episode was filmed. If possible, less Las Vegas than even Reno. So, <laughs> Laughlin, I mean... Whomst among us does not remember the Hugh Jackman Viva Laughlin uh, show? So, uh, oh, only only TV nuts. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, this episode of television did a bunch of things that really excited me. I think it complicated some of the formulaic uh, elements of some of the other episodes we saw, and we'll talk about that. But first, I want to talk about the casting. Um, this, you know, each week we're getting a fun, exciting cast list, but this week we've got Judith Light. Um, Esapatha Murkerson, Reed Burney, Kay Callen, Simon Helberg. These are our heavy hitters this week. Um, Judith Light and Reed Burney in in particular, and Murkerson as well, are like stage legends in addition to their film and television work. So it just felt like there was an extra level of like dramatic prestige. Uh, and we get that in like sort of the confrontation scene when they're all like, teary-eyed. I was like, they didn't, they really committed to oh, this. Yeah. It, it made me think of that moment in Wayne's World when they <laughs> Naturally. swapped Charlton that's where, that's where the mind goes. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously to Wayne's World, where they swapped Charlton Heston in for the gas station attendant to be like, can we just like <laughs> up the ante on this moment and make it more impactful? Like you didn't have, Reed Birdie did not have to go so hard on an episode of Poker Face, and yet he decided to. Um, Kay Callen, I know from playing um, Martha Kent on Lois and Clark, uh, The Adventures of Superman, but uh, she was also in the first Knives Out film as yep. like the grandma figure, right? And then uh, Simon Helberg, you know, is a, is a Big Bang Theory guy. Um, what did you What did you think of the casting? I mean, in particular, the idea that you're going to cast two Law and Order alum in these roles as the as the murderers, effectively, and in an inversion of what we've seen so far, have uh, then basically be Charlie's friends in this episode. You know, like she is befriending them off the top versus coming to them in the opposite direction from someone she knows being murdered, which I think is a great inversion of that formula. But the casting really works for me. Like I, I thought they did an incredible job uh, as Irene and Joyce. I thought the way this episode unspools really gives them a lot of time and space and we get enough of their background, but still not enough that we're able to twist it in the middle by finding out that they're uh, going to bomb a United Nation of babies, effectively, (laughs) as the lion alludes to in the show. But Kay Callen, too, I think is like, she might be the secret star of this episode as Betty, Betty. a.k.a. what a fucking cop, (laughs) a.k.a. 
again, as in Knives Out, a character who sees a lot and no one really cares and no one is really listening to, which I think goes to the, the, the theme you were hammering on the last pod, Joe, which is like this idea of who are we focusing on in these episodes? And they're consistently pockets of overlooked people, pockets of people that no one is listening to and paying attention to. And a senior home is case in point of great place to focus on that idea. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I mean, there's there's humor associated with it. You, we already talked, we already alluded oh, yeah. to bedpans and talc, right? So there's just sort of like, they lean into that a bit. There's the physical performance of Judith Light hauling herself up the side of a building oh, and crawling God. into the window in order to commit the murder. I mean, just incredible, incredible stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I want to talk about that. We we talked a lot about this idea that Ryan Johnson loves to do like a twist a mid a mid episode or a mid film twist, right? This is even twistier than anything we've seen on this show so far. And I really and it just like it just added that extra complication that I would really love to see more of from this show because as always, we know from the beginning who did the murder. But I don't know if this says something about me. I was just like decided I was on their side. I was like, <laughs> these. These chicks are cool. And again, like the use of Betty around that, like the yes. the the way in which Betty is harping on them. And so we're on their side, or I was on their side. I was like, these chicks are cool. Charlie likes them. They grow weed. They swear. They seem really cool. Um, okay, they killed a guy, but like probably he had it coming. Like all that sort of stuff. Um, the only, my only question about that is like, do you feel tricked at all by the, um, in a bad way or a good way or whoever, um, by the visual in the flashback of the flowers that later turns into the pressure cookers filled with like nails and screws. Like first time we see the flashback, they're getting like flowers together for a mark. Like basically we weren't given all the information. Um, how did you feel about that? I'm cool with it, especially in that context, right? Like I feel like flashback is always a great place to take some artistic license to the point that I'm very curious to get your take on this. When they initially show the very hazy, smoky flashbacks and we see Gabriel, who's, you know, the love interest, question mark, of these two women for the first time, certainly involved with them. Yeah. The first time we see him in those flashbacks, he's looking really hot, I gotta say. And then as soon as he comes out into the light of day, I would swear to you they did an actor switch. I would swear to you it is a different man. That's but so maybe that's just the way it's... Maybe that's just what a rat looks like in the light of day. You know, <laughs> Once he turns state's witness, maybe that's just what he looks like now. Um, the wig was really bad in the in the light of day. When he gets into the back of the van, I was like, that's a bad wig. So maybe Not it's ideal. like... It, maybe they just didn't like fluff the wig enough or something like that. I was like, this looks like a dime store version of a hippie right now. Um, that is funny. Uh... Yes, definitely love interest. Dick like a fire hydrant. Like Oh, sure. Of course. I'm just um, saying love question mark. Yes. I mean, certainly interested in lots of ways. <laughs> at least at least interesting. Um, yeah, the the way that memory works. I mean, I guess what we're seeing is like Charlie's idea of what they're talking about. Like and and to go to the point of like the lie detector stuff, right? So she like the lie detector element is actually not necessarily applied to Joyce and Irene. It's more applied to uh, Simon Helberg's character, Special Agent Luca Clark, where she's like, okay, fake nephew, you know, bullshit. Like, he gets the bullshit from her. When she asks Joyce and Irene point blank if they killed Ben slash Gabriel, uh, they hit her with a question. You know, we are talking about, like, how do you beat the lie detector that is Charlie? They ask, are you wearing a wire, right? So it's not an answer. 
Um, but so then we're seeing that initial flashback. They're not lying. They're sort of talk, telling the story. And so Charlie is filling in the blanks and has decided that it's like a march and they've got flowers and sort of stuff like that. So I like that it introduces this fallibility in Charlie. She's not always right about everything, you know? Well, it also goes back to a line in that first set of episodes that I think is going to become increasingly important, which is that the real key to Charlie using her power is not figuring First, out who's her lying. Superpower? Uh, her natural <laughs> aptitude to detect who is lying and who is not. Uh-huh. That is within the range of human experience. <laughs> you know, it's, it's about filtering out all the lies that are happening. Like she's detecting lies constantly, right. including from the two murderers in this episode. Like they're saying that one of them is shitting in the bathroom. It's clearly a lie. She knows it. But she just thinks it's two old ladies who are like trying to get high off to the side most of the time. They're just looking for a good time in the aviary at the zoo. Right. What's so wrong with that? And so increasingly, it's becoming about how do you, given that everyone is lying all the time about things small and big, what are the lies that matter? Which are the ones that she actually needs to pay attention to? Because otherwise, you're just going to go crazy with that stuff. I feel like it's a trope in... Um, like superhero properties or, or 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 other genre properties, where like what it makes me think of is is if someone gets the power to be able to hear what other people are thinking. Yeah, there's a famous episode of Buffy about this, but like if someone gets the power to hear what, other, and then like all, but you can hear. How do you focus on one thing when you hear everything all the time? You know. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, how do you isolate which lie is related to a murder? The murders that keep happening around Charlie, and how is it just in our in our daily um. Our, our little white lies that we tell all the time. It's really interesting. This episode is brought to you by Verizon. Here's the headline. If you're with Verizon or just joining Verizon, everyone can get their best phone deals. You can even get an iPhone 15 on them with any iPhone trade-in, any model, any condition, guaranteed with unlimited ultimate. Visit verizon.com to shop. Eight twenty nine ninety nine, dollars 128 gigabyte only, device payment or full retail purchase with new or upgraded smartphone line on unlimited ultimate plan, Minimum $90 per month with auto pay plus taxes and fees for 36 months required. Less $830 trade-in or promo credit applied over 36 months. Promo credit ends if eligibility requirements are no longer met. 0% APR, trade-in terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's huzzah a toast to breakfast this episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube cars can be a big investment so it's important to take care of them I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it you know how you take care of a car you take care of the maintenance the oil the brakes all that stuff And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. But in this idea that, like, Charlie is wrong, really wrong about them, and I was too, which is fun, like, then that puts us in with Charlie, right? Um, But I think it also, you know, there was that whole conversation around 
the premise of the show that there is a a light arc in that we expect Ron Perlman to maybe bookend or occasionally Benjamin Bratt shows up. But otherwise, these are self-contained episodes and you could just pick up any one of them, watch them out of order as they run in reruns. That doesn't happen anymore, but if they did, um, and you could drop in and it didn't matter because Charlie's character is not necessarily on an arc. Like, again, my understanding of Columbo or my better understanding of, speaking of the Fletchers that are in this episode of Murder, She Wrote, is like, it's not about how Jessica Fletcher grows and changes as a character. It's not about how Columbo grows and changes as a character. That element stays static, and that's part of the formula of this kind of show. I I was a little not sure if that's what I wanted from Natasha Leon, who's like capable of so much dimensionality. Um, and I feel like she learns and grows something in this episode, which felt really enriching to me. It absolutely does. I mean, I think we're going to see that in subtle ways, right? Where it's like, you don't necessarily have to have this episode to inform future episodes. You could see them out of order, but that doesn't mean it's not going to expand your experience if you know that this is where she's been. If you know that this is the writing order, I'm sure, even as we can see from episode to episode in these first five, just little twinges of things that you're going to look at differently or interpret differently, even as a viewer, even from like a you know zooming way out and looking at the structure of these episodes or the nature of the way the crimes are committed. I mean, just from the fact that we're getting the full range from pushing a guy off the roof because he just won, you know, just won the jackpot on a scratch off to in this episode, basically like a how to commit a perfect murder kind of scenario in which every possibility is gamed out, every option, every contingency is taken care of, and then we're gonna solve it that way. I think getting that whole range of experience is going to give an actor like Natasha Leon lots of room to show different sides of herself, lots of room to grow in certain ways, if not in the kind of traditional arky ways that we're accustomed to. Something I love, um, you know, that Natasha Leon talked about a lot with this character is like her genuine love of people. And you see, I mean, like the way that she falls in love with Joyce and Irene, like starts living her best life at this home, you know, to the point where, um, She's wearing clothes, you know, she's she's embraced senior home core, you know what I mean, with the visors and the sunglasses and the cardigans that she dug out of dead people's lost and found, et cetera. It just uh, smells like icy hot and a life well lived, Joe. Listen, waste not, want not, okay? Um, but her empathy, her empathy is part of what helps crack the case here because, like, she just met Ben slash Gabriel, right? And when he says, I got no one, and she knows that he's telling the truth, she goes, you know, she gives a little like, oh, you know, like that's, that's not, that hurts, you yeah. know? And then she goes to his funeral and she has no reason. She didn't know this guy. She had no reason to go to his funeral. Um, but that's where she sees the photo that exposes Joyce and Irene, et cetera, et cetera. And so like without that, super-sized empathy without that, like, big bleeding heart of hers, she doesn't solve the case. And I think that that is... uh, I think it's so smart to tie in the clue gathering to a core emotional aspect of your character, you know? So the real superpower is love. Um, And the friends we made along the way. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) You're absolutely right, though. Like, I think what's critical about her role in this show and who that character is and the fact that it's not 
a law enforcement official. It's not a private detective. Like it is coming from empathy and not expertise. And as a result of that, she spends the majority of these episodes trying to figure out like, how would you even go about killing a person? She's interviewing the Fletchers about like, what are some non-detectable poisons that I could even look into to understand how this works? Yeah. Like she doesn't know the mechanics of this stuff. So every time she shows up, it is just coming from a place of, this guy seemed lonely and I want to be a person at his funeral because no one else might be there. As, you know, as opposed to, I know all the ins and outs of this stuff. Like the, the big reveals come from characters like Pervy Pete and not from Charlie having this like encyclopedic knowledge of crime and how it's committed. As opposed to like a Benoit Blanc who has seen it all and like knows, you know, knows every untraceable yeah. poison or whatever, presumably. Um, I do want to, speaking of friends, the friends we made along the way, I want to talk about the Simon Helberg character, Special Agent Luca Clark, because um, again, talking about the serialized versus long arc of the show, this did, for some reason, strike me as a character we might see again. I also, like, felt, like, almost vibes between the two of them, or at least, like, vibes from his side. Yes. Um, that he, like, quite liked her. She also, like, she hates cops, so, like, maybe she doesn't like the FBI. Uh, didn't want to take his car, but she took his car, and she has it. So, like, could you see a future where Simon Helberg shows up from time to time on the show as a recurring character? Absolutely. And he, he too kind of speaks to something we've already seen from the show in terms of the way that law enforcement is portrayed here, which I think is kind of well-meaning, but also pretty incompetent. Like he doesn't even bother vetting the retirement home that he's sending the witness he's supposed to be protecting to. Like that is, that is kind of what the range is that we're talking about. And so right. often it's Charlie who's compensating for that, that incompetence in a lot of these cases so far which I think is a great place to put her as like a, you know, a fake detective in these premises. And that's like, that's a classic mystery novel. Uh, you know, if you think about of like course. Stephen Fry and Gosford Park or whatever, like it's always the like private detective, amateur sleuth, whatever, who solves the case and the cops like are just bungling around. Um, I love that reveal when he's talking to Charlie on the speakerphone in his car and like, do you know the bull, the other like... <laughs> Witsec guy that he's driving around is like, your other guy got killed, Madon. Like, this is not inspiring a lot of confidence for me. Like, uh, it's great. Anyway, well, it also it also yeah. led to one of the best bits of this episode, which I have to ask you as a Spielberg scholar yourself. Oh, okay. Would yeah. you indeed watch Minority Report, but with monkeys? That's so funny. Um, I 100% would. Thank you yeah. for calling me a Spielberg scholar. <laughs> I've done exactly one episode of the Blank Check podcast, and it was for my daughter report on on Spielberg because I love that movie so much. Fucking I think it's great such movie, a, such a good movie. Um, but yeah, when she says <laughs> monkey precog, and he's do you like, think like, she's like, some kind of monkey precog? <laughs> like Minority Report. Holy yeah, shit! Yeah, Gino the Bull and I would be there opening weekend to watch yeah. Monkey Minority Report. Hundred percent. There's no question. Euphorica. <laughs> The Fletchers. Did you have like a favorite? I mean, we've already talked about a, like a ton of jokes in this episode. Did you have any others that you wanted to to hit? I mean, the euphorica bit was great. I appreciated the HIPAA puns in this in this episode as well. There's some some good wordplay going on with that. It's hard to pick a favorite. Like, I really did think this was the sharpest, funniest episode, just from a line delivery perspective. And some of it is just 
all the leads, all all of the old ladies in this episode are just on fucking fire the whole time. Just really, really giving it. The Fletchers, the Skarsgård bit, and the payoff yep. of the Skarsgård bit with the title card, Wolf and Skarsgård, which is not a real <laughs> Skarsgård, but there are like eight Skarsgårds. If people are listening and they think it's like only Bill and Alex and oh, stuff, no. there's like five or ten more. Honestly, go to Stellan Skarsgård's Wikipedia page and look under the children and they're they're all like blue. They're all actors. <laughs> they're around. They're in Vikings. They're around. So uh, well, they're, yeah. in, they're in Fjord of Blood, clearly. Oh, obviously. Um, <laughs> another thing that I definitely would watch. Yes. Um, I really loved Betty calling their radio the Ghetto Blaster because <laughs> that is what my parents used to call a boombox oh, no. is the Ghetto Blaster. And I'm like... I haven't heard that since 1993. Like, that's <laughs> incredible. It's awful. Um, but, per, I mean, like, it's just it's just little moments like that or, like, Betty's ostrich hat or, you know, again, using the, like, bedpan and the talc in the fight or actually possibly my favorite line is when they call uh, Charlie a fucking millennial and she says, I'm a cusper, <laughs> a cusper. you psycho. As a cusper myself, uh, I really appreciated that. Such a good episode of television. And like this, I just, this is, this is what I hope Poker Face will continue to be. Like, I've liked all of the episodes we've watched so far, but I, you know, there's, there's, feels like there's a huge gulf between that let's say the dialogue in the last episode versus the dialogue in this episode. And so just like a sharper, a sharpness polish on every episode would really do a lot to elevate me. Cause like I can, I can hang in this procedural atmosphere if we continue to get incredible guest stars, which they have in every episode. Um, but then if you give those guest stars this, this episode's material to work with, you know, that's, that's a banger. It doesn't always have to be this tonality, too. Like, it's great that this episode is as funny and as, like, almost pure comedy for a lot of it as it is. Yeah. But the beauty of the format is, as long as it's this sharp, it could be anything. It could be yeah. any combination of people. It could be any setting. It could be any tonality. It can really work because Nat Natasha Leone really works. Like, she can, she can liven up and connect dots and bring this thing to life just by the nature of how she performs. Yeah, if you think about episode two, which we both really, really liked... And the sort of like almost, I don't know, I want to call it noir, but maybe that's incorrect. But like, you know, and, and even like if you look at episode one and two, we talked about this last week, but if you look at episode one and two and the opening credits sequence of each of those, both directed by Ryan Johnson. And in the first one, he's giving us like sort of a, almost like a jaunty Ocean's Eleven, you know, we're in like a casino sort of heisty vibe to the opening. Um, and then that like, you know, cool blurring stop motion, I don't know. Uh, exactly on filmmaking terms what exactly to call the opening of episode two, but like that sets a markedly different tone. And so you could almost do what Ryan Johnson has done his whole career is like, yeah, play around in different genres in every single episode. And, you know, like this is the wacky, uh, <laughs> if you want to call exploding golf carts wacky, which I do, like wacky, uh, you know, comedy episode. And, you know, who and, and what's exciting is we don't know at all what we're going to get next week in terms of tone or location, et cetera. So. And we get, you know, in this episode, we do get all these allusions to other murder-solving properties. Now in this show, we've, we've had murder podcasts. We've had this long-running 
uh, nods to some of our longest-running procedurals. We have this very Murder, She Wrote cast of people who are explicitly basically carving out like the whodunit format. And then Natasha Leon going sideways and saying, we're going to do kind of this other thing parallel to this, like related to this. Certainly there's some overlap, but there's enough room to do some new and interesting things too. I love that. Um, we still get the standard, like what we're observing as a stand, uh, the standard elements of an episode of Poker Face, which is the like, where is Natasha Leon going to be this week? Like, it's pretty, it was pretty easy to pick this one up. We're like, she has to be working there, okay. right? I was positive she was going to be running the monkey show. I oh. was, I would have bet any <laughs> amount of money that she was leading the monkey show. I was a little disappointed. She was just at the senior living facility, but you know, we can't have, we can't win them all. I thought she might have been, I I don't know that I pegged like exactly what she went, which like her job was very ill-defined, the bellhop, whatever you want yeah. to call what her job was. Um, I thought maybe she might be on the gardening crew since we got that shot at the gardener. Um, but then that paid off different in a different way, right? Because that was involved like in the murder or like Betty nattering on about her Instapot from the beginning of the episode and that paying off as like you know, the thing that killed her. Again, there's just like always... Always something to look out for, always something to be paying attention to. And so that like keeps you, again, like as I've mentioned, like I will enjoy an episode of Psych or there's like, you know, various procedurals that I know people enjoy because there's like a coziness, a cozy consistency to it. But like the point of those shows is to lull you with familiarity and just sort of like feel comforted and and all that sort of stuff. And the way in which this does that on one hand, but is also constantly zapping your brain because there's just like constantly things to be paying attention to and clues to be collecting and stuff like that is sexually yeah, think, zapping your brain, you mean? Yes. Just really sexually, giving you that charge. Yes. Consensually and sexually zapping my brain. So, you know, thanks. Thanks, uh, poker face for that. <laughs> <laughs> on the on the gardener element, I I do have a question, which is, you know, we see Irene, as you mentioned, pulling herself up this. You know what? What is that called? Like the scaffolding on a the side trellis. of the house with all that. The trellis. Thank you. Yeah. The trellis with, I mean, just Olympic gymnast strength, incredible stuff. But wearing very notably, like a, this delightful floral romper. Basically, it, do you think that was a choice? Do you think she's thinking that morning? I got to put on the florals to blend in <laughs> to with the blend. trellis as I climb this thing. And surely the gardener who's standing right here won't notice me. He'll be like, wow, <laughs> the begonias look beautiful. Um, that's amazing. Uh, but again, like in order to, for us to buy into that incredible climb, the episode starts with her doing, you know, like push-ups on her chair. You know what I mean? Like this is what she does. Those ladies seemed so cool. All I wanted to do was hang out with them, but now I know that I would probably, they would probably do a murder and <laughs> probably in my direction, so. Multiple murder. Well, do you have an Instapot? I I am actually genuinely terrified of the Instapot. I Rightly think so, it turns out. I think it's so, do you have an Instapot? No, I'm I'm sure not getting one now. No, I, uh, yeah, maybe Instapot will uh, not appreciate this advertising, but I'm so, so <laughs> like, I I actually, someone bought me an Instapot and they were like, oh, it's great. You could use it to cook rice. You could do whatever. And I tried to use it once and I got, there's a part of the process with an Instapot or any pressure cooker where you have to like open this valve and let all the steam out. And then, honestly, it scared the shit out of me. Like I did it and I was just like, this is. I'm going to steam burn myself. I know I am. Uh, so I gave it away because I was just like, I can't, I, I, 
I'm I'm sorry. I have a rice cooker. I could just use that. I yeah. don't know why I would do this. So no Denver omelets for you. No cheesecake. Was that the other thing you could make in an Instant Pot? I can't even. Remember. I mean, you can genuinely make anything. I mean, I believe in the power of the Instant Pot. I'm just too scared to use it. Um, I also believe in the power of the air fryer. I also don't have one, mm. but um, yeah. And our producer Steve was just telling us that he has had incident with a with a golf cart. So yeah. you know. Have you had an incident with someone crawling in your window and tried to stab you with fertilizer? No, Rob? Not yet, but, okay. you know, life life is long. Yeah. Is we'll long. see. All right. Anything else you want to talk about in this episode? It probably does need to be noted, unfortunately. And this is the reality of television. Um, the explosion budget over at Peacock. Oh, you know. It's not the best. It's not super It's not high. the best. No. Not the best we've ever seen. No. Um, I don't know what I would expect of an Instapod or a golf cart, but I would expect something a little different, maybe. Yeah. I'm hoping that Monkey Minority Report has a bigger VFX explosion <laughs> budget <laughs> than Poker Face on <laughs> So do, you, do we want a shot-for-shot Minority Report remake with monkeys, or do we want a whole reboot for the next generation? Okay, no. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to get... Cruz and Farrell back. Farrell fresh off of his Oscar win. No for question. Man, he's a right? Steal steals that movie, by the way. Um, we're gonna get them all back, and they're gonna do mocap like Planet of the Apes, Andy Circus mocap. Yes. Um, and so we'll just have them do the whole film again, but this time they're monkeys. Samantha Morton might be trickier to get back. I feel like she's not <laughs> necessarily wanting to be in the mocap dots, but listen. Um, I'm willing to put all of my life savings into this project. <laughs> Let's get it off the ground. I'm just, I just have the visual of monkey Tom Cruise sprinting and I have to see it. Like, I just have to have this come to life. I also need to see like monkey Colin Farrell and or Tom Cruise doing the like pinch and zoom oh, on no the like minor report, uh, long before Tony Stark ever did this. This was a, this was a minority report move. So, uh, yeah. Um, I'm devastated now that we're not going to get a monkey chasing after an eyeball. Come on. Tim Blake Nelson? What a dream. For sure. Uh, yeah. Minority Report. Watch it if you haven't. It. It's a great film. <laughs> I'm sure Minority Report needs my help. All right. Well, I think I think that does it for this episode of Poker Face. It's just going to be like light, delightful little cutie bits of yeah. uh, podcasting around these very delightful episodes of television. We'll be back next week. To talk about uh, at a new location with an all new guest ca- guest star cast. We don't know who it'll be. Um, and if you have ideas for Monkey Minority Report or anything yes. else, no, strictly Monkey Minority Report this week. <laughs> okay, only Monkey Minority. Like, well, okay, follow up pitch for Monkey Minority Report. Okay. Um, Andy Circus plays every single role, <laughs> and we I'm finally get him that Oscar. I can't pretend I'm not into it. Yeah. Why would I? Why would I not watch that? Yeah, exactly. Follow question. Are they all the same species of monkey or is it like Planet of the Apes where we get like a few, you know, should there be a orangutan? Should there be like, you know, what do you think? You got to have a variety. You got to have like, I don't know what subspecies of monkey or ape or chimp speaks like or, you know, projects cop. You, but yeah. you need that for Colin Farrell. You need that investigator sensibility coming in just to differentiate, change up the energy a little bit. Okay. I expect a ton of email from listeners, hobbitsanddragonsandemon.com to identify which... Chip or ape <laughs> or monkey is most cop-like 
and also your ideal cast for Monkey Minority Report and anything else you might have to say. Again, Hobbits and Dragons at DML.com. Uh, thanks as always to our favorite monkey cop, Steve Holman, for his production work on this episode. And we'll see you next week. Bye. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.